this month is joy month. I got my t-shirt on. Thanks, Josh Belfort, wherever you are for designing these things. It seemed appropriate for Christmas month to be joy month. But just so you know, next month is the sound mind self-control month. So don't do anything in December you're going to have to apologize for in January. I'm giving the heads up. I don't like traps. It's a trap. This isn't a trap. I'm just letting you know the, the self-control month is next month. Um, and so now you know annoyings have to battle. And the subtitle for this week is... A Weary Girl Rejoices. And we're going to be looking at the Magnificat from the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be looking at the passage where uh, Mary rejoices in the Lord with her song. And the big idea for this morning is practicing intentionally rejoicing in Jesus for himself. As opposed to looking to your circumstances as the springboard to enjoying Jesus, which is also valid and totally ought to be done. However, there is a kind of joy in the Lord which doesn't look around you for permission or help, but just looks to the Lord and enjoys him, and we're going to be looking at that today. Somebody said before, and it's not totally biblical. You can't make a case from the Greek from this. Okay, so just so you know, don't run with this too hard. But some some people have noticed before that the word happy kind of depends on what's happening. They actually have the same root, that H-A-P-P root. I'm happy because of what's happening. But there's a joy that just depends on Jesus. And if that little mnemonic helps you, I'm happy because of what's happening. That's valid, and praise God. But there's also a joy that just depends on Jesus. And we're talking about that second one a bit today. Lord Jesus, please help me. Be a good servant of the word today. Help everybody here. Hear what you want us to hear out of your word. Is it okay if we... What I'm going to do is I'm going to read some scripture, and then we're going to revisit the story in chunks, and I'll try to make sense of it as we go from there. Luke chapter 1, starting verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. That's what I'm basing the the message on today, that, that line. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those in the humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So why do I call it a weary girl rejoices? You can tell as you reread this that this is a young woman rejoicing in God despite 
things not going well for her people. You've looked on me in my humble estate. So her definition of her circumstances is being humbled. But she's seen by God. Uh, You can tell that she is seeing, because she's just been announced that Jesus is going to be born to her. She's already pregnant by this time with Jesus. She can say, you've brought down the mighty. Well, the mighty are the people around her making life miserable for Israel and for the people of God at this time. You've exalted the humble. That's them. So nothing's really changed yet except for this conception. You can just hear that her praising of God is in the midst of looking around and saying, uh, it's not a good situation. But now everything's changed because of Jesus. So if I can back up the truck, this is like one of those movies. Sometimes like a TV show will start with a scene, like two people standing over a dead body, yelling at each other about where the body came from. And then they'll say like, seven days earlier. Let's do the seven days earlier part now. And you're left kind of hanging like, what? Not the best storytelling technique, um, but people do it. So let's back this up. A few days earlier, a few months. This is actually six months earlier. Boop, boop. I got to go forward to go back here. All right. So this is the story. Jesus' birth didn't just happen. There was a lot of pre-work going on. And if you remember, the whole story started with an elderly couple where the husband was a priest um, of the tribe of Levi working in the temple. There was only one tribe out of all the tribes of Israel that were specifically devoted to serving in the tabernacle or the temple. They were set apart for the special work in the Holy Land. They weren't ever given actually any territory apart from a few cities. Their job was just to be close to God and serving him. And there was a couple and they were barren. And this is particularly devastating for the lady, Elizabeth, because um, only Levites could be priests, especially of the priestly line, which meant that you had to have kids in order to fulfill your purpose of having the next generation of Levites and priests. Does that make sense? Because God's word said it had to be a Levite and it had to be someone from the priestly line in order to do this work. So all of this work of ministering in the temple, offering the sacrifices, saying the prayers, doing the music ministry, it, it did depend on your family line. And so here's, uh, what is his name? Zechariah. My memory is Swiss cheese. Zechariah and Elizabeth are serving, but they're old And they haven't done this basic job of making sure this can go on to the next generation. And you remember, an angel shows up and says, your prayers have been heard. You're going to have this baby. Zechariah is like one of those guys who's praying for things he doesn't believe can actually happen. And so when the angel shows up in in the holy place, he gets into an argument with the angel Fun fact, you can't win an argument with an angel. Just fun fact. You get the bubble gum, open it up. Fun fact. Chew the gum, fun fact. No one's won an argument with an angel before. Oh, fascinating. So he gets stuck dumb, but 
For Elizabeth, this is how she experiences what's going on. It says, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she had been unable to conceive for long enough that everybody knew that this was the permanent state unless God did something. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me. (laughs) Sorry. To take away my reproach among the people. When you... (laughs) um, When you aren't able to do that basic thing, it's not hard for people to start looking at you thinking there's something wrong with you in the sight of God. People have probably been saying things. She's been probably hearing things. And so here she is later on in life, a weary girl rejoicing. That God's seen her and has done something. Now this is going to be John the Baptist who has a special job because even though these are like happy times, there is so much uh, pain in the future still. Zechariah and Elizabeth are old, so they're not alive as far as I understand it. When John the Baptist comes into his ministry and then when he's arrested and finally executed, they're not allowed allowed to see it. But these are good days. Fun fact, church. Enjoy the good days. We do not control the future. Enjoy the good days while they're around. They're from the Lord. But she has John the Baptist. Eventually, John the Baptist prepares the way for Jesus and eventually baptizes him. But what happens next? All right. So this is the sixth month. So this is a month after Elizabeth has this little prayer time with the Lord where she's just really grateful. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive and in your womb and... Sorry, you will conceive in your womb, yeah, and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Did we just sing about that? And of his kingdom there will be no end. All right, there is so much going on here that we could probably talk about it for a few hours, and so... Skip the Dishes is available on any one of your apps, and I hope you didn't make any plans for until about 3 o'clock today, because I was in Pansy last week, so I got a lot just, like, ready to go. (laughs) Just kidding. I want to focus on just one aspect of this pronouncement about Jesus that I think Mary even picks up, because she uses the word forever in her speech as well. And that is finding joy in Jesus alone, or especially, or without looking to anything else, especially because he is a permanent joy. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. Now, there was a problem in the history of Israel. 
Because when God promised David that there would be um, sons reigning on his throne, he did use that word forever. But why doesn't forever work for most people? This is that moment where I have an awkward pause and you don't know if I'm looking for a response or not. And then somebody whispers something and then I jump on you, even though you weren't volunteering a for everybody answer. It was just for the person beside you. This is a time where you can shout out, what is the problem with the word forever with anything in life right now? Everything comes to an end. Yeah, we die. We die. Everything wrecks, breaks, rusts, busts, or dies. That's a problem. Um, God didn't make things like that originally. Genesis 1 and 2 he infused this, this world with life and he planted a tree in the middle of this world which was the tree of life. If anyone could eat from it, they would live forever. But when our first parents rebelled against the word of God and ate that forbidden fruit, um, living forever actually became a liability and God actually sent our first parents out of the garden to die so that they wouldn't eat that fruit and live forever in a state of sin getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse without end. But we live in this fallen world, we live in this broken world, and nothing really lasts anymore. And I feel this quite deeply, honestly. I remember when I was like younger, I used to read books. I still do sometimes. Uh, in between videos of Korean people making street food. <laughs> I don't know why it's so fascinating. I don't know why they use so many eggs. They love their egg yolks. It's crazy. But uh, I used to find myself trying to read a book without ever breaking the spine or even turning it in such a way so that when the book was done, you couldn't tell that I'd read it. It's, I think, even part of me coming to the Lord, and I just realized, like, I wanted something that didn't age. I, didn't, I wanted just something that didn't break or end. It came to me again when I was younger, because I was a, more of a video game guy. I'm not, like, a video game guy hardcore right now, except when it comes to Minecraft Dungeons. But, um, <laughs> yeah, there you go. I've just flown my flag. Um, but I remember you'd sink like 30 or 40 hours into trying to beat Street Fighter 2 for this little cutscene of like Ryu standing like this, where it said would say something dumb like, and then he went on to look for other challenges. <laughs> Super Nintendo and cutscenes were the worst. They were so short. And I would just think, I just spent... Like six months trying to master the Shudokin so I could finally beat M. Bison on hard for that? <laughs> but it still bugs me. Uh, Ellie was in a play that she did really well in this week. Yeah, thanks. Is she around? Okay, well, let her know. There's nothing like praise you're not around to hear to know that it's, it's real. Um, and it was so good. But it's the last one. 
of her high school career. That bugs me. Sometimes I'll just be around and the church has really grown and I will just stop and weep for all the people I won't get to know well at church. And it's your joy to know other people well. And I'm not always sure that me getting to know you well is as much of a blessing for you as it is for me. (laughs) Everyone has their own, and that's okay. But it bugs me, and I feel like, did anybody see a blizzard recently? I feel like in this life, we're in this blizzard of blessings. Life is hard, and there's so much terrible stuff, but we are in this blizzard of blessings where there are so many great things just swirling around us all the time. And if you try, you can reach out and grab a bunch of them and hold on to them. And if you're wearing gloves, they won't melt. But we only hold on to them till spring at the latest. Israel needed a king who wouldn't die on them. Because even in the hundreds of years of Israel's history, they only had a handful of good kings. David and Solomon for the first while. And Hezekiah and Josiah sometimes. Most of them were were bad with a few so-sowers running around. They needed a good king, like a really good one, who wouldn't die. And you need something that won't die. And you need a way to not die so you can keep it. This is the problem of life. Everything we think we have, you can't keep. Unless there's a way to live forever. And C.S. Lewis he, he played around with that idea a little bit because sometimes people would say, yeah, well, everybody wants to live forever and it's just this thing to trick you into not despairing, this hope. But C.S. Lewis, I think I'm going to just ad-lib a bit. He said something like, every single desire we have has something to satisfy it. If you're thirsty, you thirst for water. And there is water there. If you're hungry, you are hungry for food. And there's food there. When you're tired, you want sleep. And you can have it. When you're cold, you are desiring warmth. And warmth is there to be had. Every single desire we have actually has something to satisfy it. And then he says, my desire to live forever has something. There has to be something there for me to want it. Or else it's the one want that doesn't have a satisfaction. And what the scripture says is, we were made for that. We were actually made to live with God forever. Valuable to him. And with purpose before him. When God talks about how he made it, he says, this is how I originally made it. There was this beautiful garden, and I put your parents in there, and my idea of a good time, and and I made you in my image, specifically capable of knowing me, and appreciating me, and being in communication with me, and my idea of a good time was to go for walks with you, 
Genesis 3 talks about when he found out everything that had gone wrong, he was actually walking in the garden in the cool of the day, whatever that meant for God to do that. But we're meant to hear that story and be like, this is what we were made for. To go for walks with our creator who values us and has a purpose for us to live. I can still struggle with sadness and depression, niche stuff. It's never capital B. But I have a bent towards sadness. And I remember one of the most changing times of my life was listening to a preacher explain Psalm 16. And uh, at the very end, it's a psalm of praise that David does. And at the very end, he says to God, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And he says, if you think about this, what God promises us here and what David is looking forward to with God is fullness of joy, which is a fancy way of saying there's nothing missing. Like you you bring your joy cup and it's like you're at the uh, pizza ranch in the States. Anybody go to the, ever gone to pizza ranch? It's pizza buffet. Don't try the chicken. <laughs> the pizza's good. But they have self-serve, soft-serve ice cream. You get to bring your cup there. You can pull the handle down yourself. And there's nobody telling you when to stop. <laughs> you can put your cup on a tray. And the cup can be full. And then it's tray time. And you can watch that sweet worm just wiggle itself all over your tray if that's what you want to do. When the worm is on the tray, you have fullness of ice cream. But it's only half okay because someday your stomach's going to get full. And then someday, some part of the day, they turn off the lights. That's why you need pleasures forevermore. You need a pizza ranch that's a 24-hour service. (laughs) I'm joking a little bit, but as I was listening to someone preach this, this was years ago, my soul broke because for the first time I think I realized this is what I want. I actually want to be totally happy forever. Don't you want that too? And aren't all your hurts and your discouragements and your despairs some kind of event or person telling you you cannot be totally happy forever like you know you need? The human soul needs to be happy forever. Or else what's the point? So here is Mary. She doesn't totally get it yet. She has some ups and down days with her son. Like when he goes around telling people he's the Messiah. And she, <laughs> she's a little worried, worried that he ate something that's caused hallucinogenic effects. And he's out there just, he needs to be reined in for a little bit. She has ups and down days. But in this moment, in this time, in her song, she's realizing that she inside of her is meeting the person who will be their savior forever. And so he is worthy of alone joy. 
that doesn't need anything else. He's my king forever. He's the one thing I can't lose. He's the one thing I won't lose. He's the one thing that won't lose me. He's the one thing that will never run out of great ideas about how to make a day awesome. This weary girl rejoices in the foreverness of Jesus Christ the Lord. All right. Thought number two. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Pause in the message for a bit. Sometimes people can look at the Bible and be like, it's just crazy. People believe in miracles and all this kind of stuff. They're uh, credulous. They're, they're easily deceived. My experience between Zechariah and Mary is that people in the Bible tend to not believe in miracles first. They tend to be somewhat scientific. You're going to have a baby. But, I, but the thing that makes babies isn't happening with me. Is the largely scientific response to this. I think it's just, if you look, uh, human beings in the Bible are more like regular human beings than we're willing to admit sometimes. They tend to be more realistic. We, we treat them as Bible stories because we read them as kids and their responses. They, they are very realistic people often, even when they shouldn't be. But here she is with this somewhat appropriate response, yes, Okay, picking up the story again. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. So the, the Spirit of God, where all human life came from originally, will especially cause this child to be conceived inside of you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow shadow you. Excuse me. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold... Your relative in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the six months with her who has been called barren. For nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be according to me. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And I think what the angel is trying to say there is, Mary, there's two types of situations where you can't have kids. The first one is when you're not even trying to. And the second one is when you've tried your whole life and then that thing that happens to women happens so that they can't have kids anymore. God's already done the second one and now he's going to do the first one. And the point between all of this is that from now on, all things are possible with God. And Mary, in a great miracle of a moment, uh, believes and submits to the word. So there's something big going on here, I think. Uh, we talked about the garden a little bit. Um, when medieval artists would draw pictures of this scene of the angel talking to Mary, they would almost, or they would regularly, I'm not enough of a medievalist to say almost always like I've seen all the medieval art in the world. Someone can Google it and probably get through it before the message is done. But uh, they would often place Mary in a garden when the angel would come to talk to her. And part of why they do that would be because they see, I think rightly, a take-two of what happened with Eve in the garden in the beginning, 
where God is coming with this word promising life. And the first time our first mom of the first humanity didn't listen. There wasn't faith. And when a temptation came, she and Adam both exalted themselves, preferred themselves, chose independence over dependence, chose self over other, chose pride over humility. And so here we have another woman getting a message of life, and her response is the reverse. I choose to come under your word as a servant. What stands out to me here, because we're talking about this weary girl rejoicing theme that you see in Elizabeth, but also in Mary, is that this is the gateway into this joy in God alone joy. I will come as a servant. I will believe your word. And I think sometimes, maybe if you're like me, this can be where things fall apart a bit for us living that life of rejoicing in Jesus first and sometimes alone. Because um, speaking of self-serve ice cream, we have a lot of opportunity to be really in control of what's happening around us so that our joys can depend on what's happening a lot. True fact. I brought this up in Pansy, so if you listen to the Pansy message, sorry for the repeat, but now that I'm on my home turf, and most people haven't heard this before, I'm not ashamed of the, the double dosage. But you know, driving to here this morning, it's winter outside, but we've got heated seats. Anybody else with the heated seats? which has gone from luxury to necessity really fast in Manitoba. And the thing that was killing me is that my heated seats, they're not even on-off, which anybody should be happy for. If you can do on-off, you're set. But my heated seats, five different levels. Five. From like just, just softening up the lower lumbar one, Two, if I were in a pool of grease, I'd be sizzling right now. Five. (laughs) But just like so much control over the context of all things. We live in a time where we're almost offended if someone hasn't already invented an app to solve the problem I just found out I had. True? And then if your app crashes... Or the Wi-Fi is slow. Dial up. Dial up. Yeah. Like you're dead to me. Hey, you want to come over to my house? You still on dial up? Yeah? Yeah. There is just such this sense of we ought to be in control. Like to find out that there might be a disease that they don't have a pill for already? What's gone wrong here? We deserve better. But that doesn't always help us realize who we're dealing with in Jesus when it comes to rejoicing in him. He can become very small. The cherry on top of an already happy life. 
Jesus is no cherry. He is the creator of the universe, the source of all joy, the giver of life, the designer of delight. Uh, He is the ruler of all history and has devoured countries and kingdoms and nations. And he's got a book, even the Lord of life and death. He's got a book where he's written the final sentence of each one of our lives. And at some point he will command and every one of us will be raised again to a judgment. And for those of us who trust him and have begun the journey of seeing our joy in Jesus, there is unlimited joy forever for us that makes even the best moments of this life look like getting your toenails clipped. But the doorway into that is, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be done to me according to your word. This is the doordway in. Okay, next thought. We're, we're covering ground, I promise. So then they have this party together. In those days, Mary arose and went in haste into the hill country to the town of Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah. See, I was right. Phew. I forgot my own notes. Not encouraging for you as a congregation. (laughs) And greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, she leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment to what was spoken to her from the Lord. See, there's that whole, like, how awesome it is to believe the word of God thing up. But here's a thought, and man, I could go lots of different ways, and so if this feels disjointed, I'm just trying to take the best parts for you. But my thought here is, look how for these women who are believing that Something so amazing has happened to them because of Jesus entering their life. Look especially how Elizabeth is able to be happy that Mary is more blessed than she is. Imagine, ladies, (laughs) you know, pick on you. I, I kick the guys in the shins every once in a while. Imagine meeting a woman who God has already told you is more blessed than you. (laughs) Well, you know that's the right answer. (laughs) You know how the story ends. No, it's good. Look at Elizabeth's capacity, even though she is already living a miracle. Mary comes in with Jesus, and suddenly Elizabeth is like, Forgetting and going, wow, you and what God is doing in your life and your blessing. You're the blessed one. You're carrying the Lord. And Mary even accepts it and sings it like women forever are going to call me blessed. And there is this dynamic where when Jesus is the core of our joy, you're actually able to really, really rejoice in what Jesus is doing in other people 
even when sometimes it means they're getting something that you might want better than you got it. Should I wave my arms? It's <laughs> keeping you in suspense. Is he going to do it? I heard Lynn's voice first, and she's, she said something, and I'm not going to do it. But can you just see for a second how otherworldly this is than for us sometimes? Like, imagine you're so blessed you've got a miracle baby. But then your cousin shows up and she has the miracle baby. And all of a sudden your brand new Ford Fiesta is parked beside a cyber truck. <laughs> but because it's about Jesus, the competition is gone. Because if you have Jesus, you already have the best thing in one sense. And what Jesus wants to do with you and other people, it's not a competition anymore. Because we're servants. And what Jesus wants to do with us, that's the best thing for us. And if Jesus wants to call somebody more blessed for a while, praise Jesus. And then your heart is so much freer than when you're doing the other thing. Happiness where its circumstance has this habit of leading to comparison, FOMO. What does FOMO mean, young people? Fear of missing out. Does it require a hashtag? Or are we in a post-hashtag culture now? You tell me, do you guys hashtag? No, I'm getting it. Hashtagging is dead. I'm from the time when it was a pound sign. It was a pound sign when you were angry at the operator. You hit pound. The sharp. You're from the sharp sign. From, from the time when people wrote music when the short ones were three hours. Right? That you had, when the short songs were three hours, it was sharp. Things change. The snowflakes. They melt. Jesus is the joy that is fullness of joy that lasts forever. We receive him by saying, let me be your servant and I'll believe your word. And when we have this, we actually get more joy in other people's blessings than we could ever get without him. Look at these weary, weary girls rejoicing. And in response, Mary says this, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. He has looked upon me, the humble estate of his servant. So let me just end, end with saying this. Everyone who comes to be a servant of Jesus, God looks upon you. God sees you. You have the, the blessed eye and not the, oh no, he sees me eyes. Sometimes we have the, oh no, I hope God doesn't see me eyes. And what we do is we come to Jesus. We trust him that he wasn't just a baby forever. Do you know there's this country, he sent some missionaries too, and they still teach their kids that Jesus is still a baby. And at Christmas, he flies through the window into the house and delivers presents. 
He's not a baby still. He became a grown man. He suffered for sin. He was crucified as a sacrifice so that all the wrong things that anybody could do could be forgiven by God and that by faith in him we could be received as treasured children. But when we come as servants, he sees us. He sees us. He sees us. He sees us. And half of our trouble is just feeling like nobody sees us. That it's not reality. You come to Jesus and God sees you. And he sees you with value. And he sees you with the purpose that he made you for. And he wants to spend the rest of our lives walking in the garden with us. Sometimes it's a garden of Gethsemane and it hurts so bad. And sometimes it's the garden of Eden. You can't believe you feel so blessed. You don't always get to pick which garden. But this is, this is the joy that can be had for us as the people of God. Let me pray for us. And then the band will come up. And if you want to meet with God, you can come up here and get prayer for whatever you want. Father, you're so kind to love us, to want to make us happy forever. No matter who we are or what we've done or how we feel or even if we've if we come to Jesus, you're, you're happily willing to make us happy forever with Jesus. How generous a dad you are. Lord, you know we are often robbed from your intentions for this. And so I pray that you would deliver and change and so move. I pray that 2024 would be a year where it's not like, oh yeah, Rob preached that message, but it's like, no, I am finding my joy in Jesus in ways that never made sense. Would you do that? And not just so that we can be happy, but so that other people will see there's something beyond the chemicals, and there's something beyond the purchases, and there's something beyond the circumstances that's better than life itself. And other people will see and come to the Lord too. I ask these things in the name of the Father.